Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we are calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. Wednesday, October 7th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 316. I'm ready to clarify. My name is Caleb Hegg. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. My name's Rob Vanoff. Oh, my word, you did it before the uh, music was over. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. And then... <laughs> I should be, I should the new be, mug. What? I should be drinking out of this today to promote the new fall... Executive producer credits. Actually, we've had a low turnout on our producers, which I will put up for you right now. Our fall producers. Thank you very much to our fall producers. That, and makes, them, that makes these more rare. Exactly. That is exactly right. I'd like to thank everybody who supports this show. I know that we dropped the ball again and did not do a Messiah Matters more. We've been so busy. It's been unreal how busy we've been over here. Um, that's not a good excuse. It's not a good excuse, and we will try to fix it. Maybe later today. Um, I'm actually leaving tomorrow and will be gone through Monday. So um, I don't, yeah. I mean, we'll try to do something today. And if not today, then we'll do something on Tuesday. But uh, yeah, we, I, we owe our supporters something. And I know that. I know that we owe you. Okay. Well, uh, hello, everyone in the chat room. It's a very low turnout today, which is fine. Um, maybe people forgot that we uh, that we exist. Well, <laughs> that's okay. That's fine. Uh, how you been? Are, we are like a shadow. Yes, like a breath. If you're reading Kohelet, right? We are dust in the wind. Yeah, how's life, man? Praise God. God is good. Yeah. Yeah, I if I had internet in a sukkah, we could and you had internet in your sukkah, we could be doing from our sukkah. We could be, yes, we could be. We could be uh yeah, speaking of Sukkot, how's how's it been? Uh good. 
Yeah. <laughs> I've been like last night. It's just, I mean, it's been clear where we live. It's been super clear at night and, and we've had really warm days like today that was going to be in the, I think 80 again. So it gets cold at night. Um, last night I was sitting out, uh, looking out up at the stars and the moon. Beautiful. Just beautiful. I was just praising God, you know, um, quiet. I, our neighborhood's pretty quiet and you see all the stars. Our, our yard has, it's a small yard, but we've got enough green trees kind of protecting us from uh, light from other yards and, and street lights and stuff in the backyard. So it, it kind of helps. You can see the stars somewhat. And uh, just thinking about the patriarchs dwelling in tents, you know, uh, just with the bright moon and the stars. Well, every, not just during Sukkot, of course, all the time. Uh, but, uh, and remembering the promise to Abraham, right? If count the stars, if you're able. Yep. Because that's the, uh, so shall be your descendants. So right. shall the number of your descendants be. And it's, it's wonderful. I mean, God created the heavens and the earth and he longs, as it says in First John, we, we have fellowship with him. Through Yeshua, we have right. fellowship with God. We can hang out. We hang out with God. Right. If the true if his truth is in our hearts. This is going to get into our discussion today. I'm not not that I'm purposely staring at it, but I can feel it that way. Because the idea of um what does it mean that verse, I think we're coming back to it, where where Christ says, where two or three are gathered right, in my right, name, right. there I'm with him. What does it mean to be with Christ? Right. What does it mean to have to walk with him and to have him in the midst of your marriage relationship, in the midst of your friendship, in the midst of your local small group or larger community. And I have my own convictions on this, that, that in John, where it says, you know, the Torah came, was given by Moses or through Moses, grace and truth uh, came through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that, that grace and truth are present. If Yeshua is there, that means grace and truth. And what does that mean? That means brothers are speaking truth in love to one another. Right. And so if you have three or more people, two or three people, and they say they believe in Yeshua, but no one's speaking truth to each other. Yeah. Yeshua is not there. Agreed. That's, 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 um, and you know, speaking the truth, means sometimes there's difficult conversations to be had, right? If it's just always smiles and we just smile at each other. Rainbows and, and kittens. Rainbows and kittens. Yeshua is not there. Because life isn't that way. Life isn't just rainbows and kittens. Now, yeah, it's I'm thankful it. to God that there are rainbows. Well, rainbow is a covenant sign and kittens, of course. You know, YouTube videos of kittens playing with <laughs> um, uh, yarn balls or chasing. Can I laser. tell you what that reminds me of real quick? Go ahead. Chris Tilling. His Twitter, his Twitter account, uploading uh, pictures of kittens since 2007. <laughs> there anyway. you go. Anyway. So you got to laugh. There's some cute, I, you know, I, I think we have a little dog that is so cute. And I'm, I, I talk to my dog. I know that sounds silly. But I, I, we go outside in the middle of the night. I take him to pee, you know, or whatever on the leash. And I'm saying, see, God made these stars. God made you so cute. 
and I'm thankful to God. You know, I have, I mean, you know, we're, we, we walk with God all the time. So, you know, he's, it's part of our walk, abiding in the blessing right. of our, of our covenant relationship with the Lord extends to simple things, you know, even what taking your pet out to do a number, right? There's gratitude to be had. There's glory to be given to God. Um, and that's, that's our, that, that made me think, Caleb, I was thinking of you the other day, because sometimes we talk about the first, uh, you know, number one of the Westminster confessions. What is the uh, chief end, right, of man? Right. What is the end? It, it's uh, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That doesn't have, we don't wait. We don't have to wait till after this world, you know, to glorify God and to enjoy our life with him. This has been okay. This has I'll been Ro- Rob's rundown of his <laughs> suka. <laughs> um, so before we before we jump in, and before I start clarifying, my that's uh, right. You're going to clarify. Yes, I'm going to clarify. There, uh, our su- Sukkot has been interesting, and the reason why is because we we got a newer couple coming to our our church, and uh, uh, we just love them. They're great. And uh, I, we were talking maybe a month and a half ago about Sukkot. And uh, I said, you know, what, what do you guys think? What should we do for Sukkot? And this new gentleman, uh, the father, said, uh, well, I think we should go camping. And um, I've never actually gone camping for Sukkot, believe it or not. And the whole group was just like, yes, let's go camping. And so uh, we, we chose a very lovely place right out on the coast of Washington. And uh, we all packed up and we went out and we decided to uh, camp at this beautiful campground. And we got there and we set up our tents and everything. Now, let me explain to you just one thing about myself and my wife. I used to be a camper. I used to go backpacking into the Ho River Rainforest. I used oh, to. Oh wow! Yeah, I that's used to, beautiful. That's it's, lush green. It's, it's beautiful and it's waterlogged, so you really have to know what you're doing. And uh, I used to love that. That was 20 years ago. And what I've realized is that I no longer love camping. And the reason why is not because I don't love the outdoors. I do love the outdoors. I also like a bed, and I also like central heating, and <laughs> I like those more than I like the outdoors. And uh, my wife likes those things so much more than the outdoors that we were supposed to stay for two nights and we came back after one night. Uh, my wife and I, not campers. And you know what? We just finally had to admit to ourselves, hey, we're, we're pushing 40 here and uh, I don't like sleeping on the ground. That's not fun. It makes my hips, my it makes everything hurt. So, uh, but we, we did have fun while we were there, except for at nighttime when we were trying to sleep. Um, all right. Well, happy Sukkot to everyone. Let's see what the comments are in the <laughs> in the chat room. <laughs> okay. Let's clarify real quick. Now, we got some pushback. Not much. Just one m- main comment. Pushback on my, on my little ty- tirade of uh, Black Lives Matter last week. Now, somebody said, no, you're misunderstanding the reason that uh, all lives ma- matter is offensive. It's not that Black Lives Matter is saying that all lives don't matter. It still affirms that all lives matter. It's just that this group has been marginalized and therefore the war cry of Black Lives Matter means a very specific thing. And when you say all lives matter, it is actually continuing to marginalize the, this this group. Okay. Um, now, 
I, I understand the viewpoint. Trust me, I understand the viewpoint. I, um, I'm willing to stand up and fight with people against racism. I am uh, willing to stand up and fight with people against marginalization of specific groups. However, the reason that I think that the war cry of Black Lives Matter is so hypocritical, not just for the organization, which is a Marxist organization, but is so hypocritical for a movement known as Black Lives Matter is because when I go to a Black Lives Matter rally, and we've seen this in videos, and I hold a sign that says says something to the effect of all Black Lives Matter, I will get beat. And the reason why is because the Black Lives Matter movement is uh, predominantly, and I do mean predominantly, a significantly overwhelming majority of that movement is pro-abortion. 25 million black lives have been lost to abortion since 1973. And to hold a sign that says Black Lives Matter and yet affirm and uphold the idea that we can kill the most innocent and helpless of those people is to be uh, is the definition of hypocrisy. So for those who want to say, oh, it's offensive to say all lives matter, if you're going to say black lives matter, then stand up against a movement that pushes for the annihilation of the most innocent of that race. Don't stand there with a sign next to people who think it's okay to kill the, the, the youngest and most defenseless of the, that people group. It is disgusting and it is sickening. And the idea that people are defending a movement that continues to push for the uh, abortion rights of women within that group is, uh, is, is hip- hypocrisy at its greatest thing. Uh, beyond that, beyond that, uh, I think that when we start to look at, the, at what people are saying is marginalization, I think there's a lot of misinformation that the movement, and I, should, I shouldn't say the movement, that the organization of Black Lives Matter has pushed. And this is why I've said that the movement is fueled by Marxist propaganda. And the reason why is because you have propaganda that's being pushed by the organization, which is then fed into the movement, and the movement gets misinformation and propaganda, and then uh, riots and uh, tries to protest over things that are simply not true. Now, I uh, have friends who are, uh, who are black. I have next-door neighbors who are black. I have sisters that are black. Um, I am certainly against... Uh, racism, and I'm certainly against the idea of marginalizing a people group or treating people differently because of the color of their skin. However, with that said, I think that there is so much misinformation, and I think that uh, until we take care of the abortion issue, the Black Lives Matter movement is a joke. Well, yeah, and it's not it, it's not a biblical marriage commitment uh, being upheld either. Right, that's, and that's another aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I don't get me wrong. I understand the arguments. I know people who are deep into the Black Lives Matter movement. I know people who have protested here in Washington State. I know people who have protested out in New York. I know people who have traveled to protest. I know people who, uh, you know... Uh, all their social media account is, is Black Lives Matter. Um, And I'm very close to some of those people. 
And uh, so it's not that I don't understand the arguments. It's that I don't believe we as believers have critically understood or thought about what the implications of these things are. And uh, until we as believers sit back and say, no, let's take the focus off of uh, political and or racial matters and put it onto the gospel. What we should be saying is, all lives matter because Christ came and died for the elect. <laughs> Christ's death matters for all lives. That's what we should say. Christ's death matters for all lives. Yeah, that's why, our, I mean, Messiah matters. Exactly. Right? I mean, that's why we're... Michael made the mug the way he did. Like, what are what are our what ideology are we upholding? What banner are we upholding to the rest of the world? When at, at the Black Lives Matter movement up uh, march up in Seattle, at one of them, there was a gentleman who went and uh, attempted to preach the gospel. He was beat ruthlessly. So, um, and the same thing happened to a uh, a black man. Who went and tried to preach that all lives matter, that all black lives matter? In other words, he was anti-abortion. And so, the uh, as soon as you start to bring in truth of the gospel, and people get beat for it, or truth that uh, killing babies is a is is against what God wants, uh, you get beat you get beat up for it. Guess what? That's a movement that all believers should disassociate from. That's all there is to it. All right, so that's one clarification. I got another clarification, and here we go. Let's jump into our main topic. Now, I will admit that this is a little bit more of a free-form discussion than a lot of our other things, uh, and the reason why is because normally we, we, we structure this show loosely in a, very, in a kind of uh, format, I, I guess you could say, of um, topics. We usually try to have two or three topics that... We talk about usually three. We have little segments that we do. Even though people don't m might not realize that that's what we're doing, that's actually what we're doing. Okay, stop before we jump into any more of this. I want you to go and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you have not already. Like this video and also be a part of the conversation. Uh, that's the wrong banner, but that's okay. We'll leave that one up. We'll bring this one up too. Our comment line is 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Also, you can send us an email, chag at torresource.com. Okay, second line of clarification. Now, last week we talked about whenever two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. Yeshua is saying this to all believers. Okay, and so the question came in, do you think that this, um, I'm paraphrasing the, the question here, but do you think that this applies to communities? In other words, in a place where there's persecution like Iran, um, do you think that, you know, two or three people gathering can constitute a community, especially in persecution? Now, it's ba basically the gist of the, of the question and or conversation that we had. And, and the answer was yes, it certainly does because Christ is present there, right? Um, however, I think I need to retract and or clarify boldly. And the reason why is because there is a difference between a small group and or a Bible study and a community. And so in the context, and we would have to go back and read that passage again, but in the context of the Matthew passage, I believe that it's actually talking about prayer. So certainly Christ is there within the midst of two or three believers. 
Um, so does the, so in a in a time of in a time of persecution, certainly things are different. Gathering together is uh, is commanded, and so I think that even in persecution, we tr- should try to do that. Maybe that doesn't mean that we get together in groups of a church or whatnot. Two or three, two or three people is 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 fine, and and if we can't do that, we can't do that. Um, but the question I really thought about a lot this past week is what is the difference between a home group or a Bible study and a community? And I'll, I'll, I'll set up my case and then I'll let you come in and either destroy it or agree. (laughs) Here's what I think the difference is leadership and accountability. Now, I'm not saying that a, a, a small group and or a Bible study doesn't have uh, accountability. In certain cases, it a- absolutely does. In fact, I've been to churches before where they say, oh, you need to become part of a small group, and that's your accountability partner, right? You find somebody who's going to be your accountability partner. And so you, uh, you, know, you, you try to you know, be in contact with this person throughout the week so that you can be accountable to this person. And, and so you do have accountability. However... When you have a community of people, in other words, when you have an established community, there's established leaders and there's established deacons, like elders and deacons. And these people step into a God-given role of authority. And we'll talk about this structure a little bit in in a little bit. And we actually see this within the scriptures. Now, I think that there are times when people start small groups and or start Bible studies and they're not going to a community um, because this group is actually growing into a community. This happened in in my community. It's happened in many other communities where you have a couple of people getting together and this is actually functioning as the the community for the people in it, but it hasn't established leadership. And then all of a sudden, leadership happens. And we see this in Acts 14, 21 through 23. Let's read it. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Now, remember, they had already come through these places and they'd already established communities, but there, but there wasn't leadership yet. So they left that place. And this is, I think, probably about a year, maybe two later. So they came back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, in every ecclesia, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So in other words, they leave these com- they establish these communities, they leave, they go, they establish other communities, and on their way back through, they come back, and what do they do now? They, they look and they see who has risen to the occasion. In other words, who stepped up? And this is a huge problem that we have in communities today, is men don't want to step up. And I, it's it's a problem because we have a lot of communities that are. Oh, that's not the only problem. I completely. We agree. have men who want to stand up who, who are not mature. That's that's the other problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That are that that it's there's people who want authority, but have but are not ready for it. 
And then there's people who probably are ready for it, but they don't want it. Right. I think it could be both those. Oh, absolutely. But the point is, is that the, the disciples come back to these communities. They see who has taken charge, who's risen to the top. They, through prayer and fasting, they ask the Lord. It seems that the Lord confirms, and that could be through multiple means, but the Lord confirms their prayer and fasting, and they appoint these leaders. And now these people are leaders of the commu- over the community. So we have... We have, uh, you know, precedent for this kind of uh, establishing of leadership within within the, the scriptures. And so I think that, you know, I think that it's probably a retraction from last last week. I think it needs to be at least amended that, yes, Christ is with us. And, and Lee in the uh, in the chat room says is in the context of uh, of the passage where two or three gathered there I am judgment. Is he le- uh, is he less with you if you're alone? Certainly not. He will never leave you or forsake you. Okay, um, but the but the point that I'm trying to make is is that this is not necessarily about wherever two or three are gathered. That's where the community of God is, and I'm not saying that certainly that is part of the community, but community, and I mean the reformers were really big on this. The community implies judgment. And it implies the idea of, of spiritual authority and submission. And that's not just for the people in the pews. And this is one of the, I mean, I've, we've discussed uh, personally, recently, I've had discussions with people about whether or not a Christian church that has a single pastor with, that has all of the control within the community, is that a real biblical community? And I would say that people look at it and say, yeah, it's a community of people, but it is not a true biblical community. And the reason why is because that person is not under spiritual authority. The pastor is not. To have true community, you have to have multiple elders and you have to have deacons as well. And the reason why is because the people who are elders need to be accountable to other people just as much as the people that are under them are accountable to them. So I think the biblical community, no matter what role you're in within biblical community, implies submission to biblical authority and implies guiding as biblical authority. So that could be if you're a parent, let's say that you're not in any role as in eldership or deacons or anything like that within the ecclesia. If you're a parent, you're in a role of spiritual authority over your children. If you're a husband, you're in a role of spiritual authority over your wife. If you are a single, <clears throat> a single adult, you are in spiritual authority under the uh, single uh, men and or if you're a woman under the women under you in age and whatnot. So, I mean, there's, there's all these roles of spiritual authority and we are called to submit and to also exercise that spiritual authority. Now, to exercise spiritual authority, I think, has been grossly misunderstood. I think love is the way that we express that. Okay, I've been talking for a really long time. Tell me what you think, Rob. Well, back to kind of what I was saying earlier, I think that to have, re- if, if Christ is with you, like whether two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm with you. The idea is that they have unity of mind. Right. <clears throat> and it's not unity of mind 
because they've argued something out or something that someone's convinced somebody, I mean, there might be time where there's that kind of aspect to it, but it's because they have the mind of Messiah. They have the mind of Christ and they are aligned on the priorities of the kingdom. They, they understand truth and love and um, they will accept correction and they will be the ones who gently seek to correct like in Galatians six. And so I, I see it as, uh, and you know, someone you said made the comment of even when someone's by themselves, it's not like Messiah is abandoning them. I, I agree, but he made us to, love other people and to receive love from other people. I mean, that's the second commandment. So it's not by God's ultimate design that he's just going to make a person and have them be a hermit. You know, that's uh, maybe for short times that is necessary in, in your life for different reasons. And God is going to be with you for that, but he's not going to lead you there and then just leave you there. Right. He's going to ultimately bring you, into community with others. So uh, what you're saying about authority and it is true, you know, that we, um, there, uh, the difference, you know, I know this firsthand, the difference between a Bible study and like a discussion group, you know, Bible, a larger Bible dis- discussion group and uh, a community, a congregation, and then I've seen it where things that are just more social. Right. Um, I, you know, I've been in, Caleb, you had more experience overall, I think, in the Messianic community than I have. I uh, first was part of a community, well, small, small home groups in the late 90s in the Spokane area. But then when we moved to Linwood, we were part of a group that was, they had a church space, you know, they were, or it was a space rented from a church for Shabbats real nice building and established leadership, elders, etc. And real people who are stable, you know, financially and their families were stable. So there was a sense of these were these people were pillars, right? I mean it it they had the ability to hold the space and and you could uh, go there, you knew who was going to be there, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. However, there was no training in the original languages, no training in Bible interpretation. And sadly, even though you had the elements of the long-term stability, people who were there and committed, it was the right, you know, what was the early 2000s? You know, that was YouTube, uh, or maybe, I don't know if YouTube exists yet, but certainly the internet, people were using the internet to spread all sorts of heretical ideas right. and there were no checks and balances. And so that community suffered in the long run from, although we had solid leadership in, in the realm of stability of community in terms of just the basics that need to be taken care of, we lacked clarity of, we didn't have a, a doctrinal lion, so to speak or even one of them, let alone more than one. And 
we had all manner of different doctrines that crept in and people got their ears tickled. And it, what was what I thought a very beautiful thing ended up in, in so much sad, sad ends and very painful. I mean, like there's took years, you know, of, (laughs) to, to, you know, to just work through some of the, the hurt, you know, uh, on the result of it. And I was just a more of a bystander there. I was, you know, young and learning. And so do I look back, was that a community? Well, I could say, yeah, that was a community and that there was consistent leadership in, in some degrees. Um, but in terms of sound doctrine, able to teach, like when Paul tells what Tim, tells Timothy, like someone who's bold and clear on the core elements of, for example, the doctrines of grace, the nature of the canon, the limitation of the canon that we're not adding or subtracting, that it's, that it's fixed, uh, the deity of Yeshua, the nature of larger Judaism with respect to the walk of the, of the believers, the Jew-Gentile issue, all these things were areas where I see the enemy crept in and people weren't equipped. And there's a lot of damage done. See, but so, so me, but you got two things going on there. This is a great example, Rob. And the reason why is because you have two, you have two different things going on there. First of all, the question is, would that be considered community? And to me, I would say, yeah, that's a community. And the reason why is because you have established leadership. Now, at the same time, you have a failing of leadership in not being able to theologically. A leader's not going to isn't Superman. They're not going to be able to um, not going to be able to uh, you know uh, shield the community from everything. That's that's Christ's job. Christ is the one who shields and who allows things to happen for the greater good and, and those kind of things. But a leader needs to be able to stand theologically and to uh, to withstand the attacks and guide people theologically as well. This is one of the reasons that I think that, you know, we back to what you said in the very beginning, you know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, one of the ways, it is basically our calling in life. It, it, the, the meaning of life is to glorify God. And one of the ways that we do that is to learn about him, to understand the scriptures, to be trained up in the scriptures. Every single believer, whether you're a concrete pourer, whether you're an elevator operator, if those still exist, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, no matter what you are, if you are a disciple of Christ, then it is your job to be trained up as best you can in the scriptures. And for those who are going to be leaders and elders and deacons, even more so. And this is one of the reasons that, you know, it's, it it might be sleepless nights. It might be, you know, long weekends. It might be whatever to try to train ourselves up. But this is one of the reasons that leaders need to have a, and I'm not saying go to seminary, but some form of education in what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, Yeshua says, you know, narrow is the path. Right. Few, few find it. Okay, so I, so I mean, this, that's, this, that, this, that's what, what is that? What does he mean? You know, why does he say, many will say, Lord, Lord, you know, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Right. There's our, the human problem 
is, <laughs> is big. And, um, and we all got it, right? We all have yeah, the human we problem. All have, we right? all have the human problem. Yeah, even this is one reason that you should be praying for your leaders and your pastors and your deacons is because you know what? Just like you, your pastors and your deacons are sinners. For some reason, we get it in our head that, that our pastors are holier than thou. In other words, you know, they don't sin. They're, they're on a different plane. And the fact of the matter is, is that pastors, deacons, and teachers, they struggle with their own sin. That's all there is to it's it. It's like, right, if there's an element of celebrity or something, that, you know, it's just no different than a celebrity, right? You see the, the public image of something, you go, oh, this person is that. That's who they are. Oh, they're so wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> like, my, my dad always used to say, you know what? Those people put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you and me. In other, in other words, like, you know, you put them up here, but really they're just the same as you. Okay, but you know what? You, you're you're leading to the next thing I want to talk about, Rob. You sometimes before the show, Rob will, uh, Rob and I will talk about you know what's going on. We usually have about ten minutes before we we go live. And last week, Rob talked about what the what before we went on air, he was telling me what he like he kind of had a revelation of what he thinks leadership actually is. And it has to do with Wheaton Chaff. Tell me about it. Well, I was just reading um, Matthew 13, you know, and there's different parables in Matthew 13. The, fir the first parable, if I remember the order, is the, the sower that goes out to sow, right? And there's the four different kind of places that the, the seed grows, or, or at least starts up. Uh, and well, the first, I guess, is eaten before it even starts up. But the only one that's fruitful is the fourth, and that's the 30, 60, 100. And then he goes on to say uh, that the kingdom is like the pearl of great price, right? Where someone goes, sells everything they, has it, they have to buy that. Or treasure hidden in a field goes, sells everything he has so he can buy that field. So it's like you, the idea of you've got to be all in for, for the kingdom. Right. And, and then he, he shifts in, in the middle of Matthew 13 and he talks about the dragnet. He says, it's like fishermen who cast this dragnet. This is what the kingdom is like. And, and then they sit on the beach with the net full of, of stuff that they dragged in and they, the good they put into to vessels and then the bad they, they throw away. And I kind of paused there and I felt like, you know, this really is a picture of of the pastoral, um, uh, what do you call it, vocation or the, the job. It's, it, it's not just um, to view that everybody who, who comes, right? And not, you know, in a way, casting the net is like setting up a, a church building, <laughs> yeah. right? And then you have a bunch of people come. Well, not everybody who comes, like it, Yeshua is saying, when the fishermen who cast this net, not everything, you know, there's going to be stuff in there that doesn't belong. And that's got to be someone has to be in charge of getting that out, of separating and, and treasuring up the good and getting rid of what doesn't belong. And he, by using the fisherman uh, uh, picture, it's not an attractive thing. 
right? Like, you know, young, how many kids, young kids playing, walk along the Sea of Galilee, see fishermen, you know, sitting on, you know, on the side with a net full of smelly fish and, and other stuff, kind of fish that doesn't belong. And just sitting there having to sort through all that, getting dirty and fishy smell all over you and your clothes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think he's, he's using that image to say, look, this is not a, this isn't a celebrity type of um, labor. However, it's necessary. It's necessary. Who's going to do it? How, how do the righteous get set up and edified and equipped and encouraged, not by hanging out with the wicked. In Psalm 1, it says, you know, blessed is the man who, happy is the man who does not, we all know that, right? He doesn't, uh, he doesn't uh, walk Watch with sit. the sinners. He hasn't, he hasn't, uh, yeah, he doesn't stand with the sinners, walk with the wicked, right? Or the counsel of the wicked. And, uh, uh, he does not sit in the Moshav, in the dwelling of, of the scoffers. Right. So if you're a righteous person, the, the Torah is clear. You can't retain a life of purity and holiness and walking with God and sit in the seat of scorners or hang out with sinners. Now, difference, Yeshua when he went to to sinners, it wasn't he wasn't just he wasn't uh, undifferentiated. He went and he was a teacher among them. Yeshua, when he went to eat with tax collectors or those from the marginal of margin of society, he wasn't hanging out with um, murderers, people who are like actively engaged in mobster uh, murdering. People And if he did encounter those kind of people, he would have rebuked them and corrected them. So some of the times where it says he hung out with sinners, it's this, quote, sinners that the Pharisees had, had written off because they had judged them. But the point is, Yeshua always taught love of God. He taught the path of repentance and forgiveness and the accountability before God and, the, and uh, that the kingdom, you know, the coming kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. So whether Yeshua is in the house of a, of a Sadducee or an Essene or a Pharisee or the high priest or a tax collector or a prostitute, his message is the same. Right. So, so that's not the same. Yeshua is not transgressing like Psalm 1, for example. But when we're talking about a, an ecclesia, there has to be a differentiation there. There. Uh, there has to be an equipping of the uh, of the righteous, the rebuke of sin, the confrontation of, and that's the speaking the truth in love. Paul describes that in Galatians six, and and like back to the Matthew eighteen. There's times where someone has got to go. So okay, hang on just a sec. I want to I, I want to stop here, and the, and the reason why is because you've brought up a whole lot of different things. But one of the things that I I want to kind of uh, stop with is you know I think that we have different kinds of people within community, and you have people who are um, the so, like the core dedicated under spiritual authority in a community, 
And those are the people who are all in, right? Those are the people who are in for the long haul. Those are the people who, um, you know, they believe that the leaders are um, are theologically sound. They believe that the leaders have their best good and they will submit to the authority of the leaders. Then you have the people who come in and, <clears throat> you know, they, they might go to this church down the road <clears throat> on this weekend and then the next weekend they're going to come to your group and then the weekend after that they're going to bounce somewhere else. You might see them once a month, once every two months, once every three months. Um, you might see them for two months in a row and then they're not there for a month. Those kind, you know, and it's like, what, what's the main problem with this kind of person? Well, they haven't placed themselves under any spiritual authority. Paul puts, Paul says that this is tantamount to, he says, I have given them over to Satan, right? What does that mean when, when Paul says I've given them over to Satan? He means that they, they are no longer in the community, which means they're no longer under spiritual authority or protection for that matter. And I think a person who jumps from community to community and never gets under spiritual authority is in that same category. You're, you are not in community, which means that you are out in the pasture with the wolves. And I think that a lot of this has to do in modern time with feelings. Oh, I don't feel like, you know, I don't feel like the worship at this congregation is really what I'm looking for. I don't feel like the teaching is really hitting, you know, is really making me feel, you know, the way that I need to feel. I don't feel, you know, what I'm going to pray and see if the Holy Spirit lets me feel like I should come to this group or not. You know, the the reformers, and I've been reading this wonderful book, the reformers uh, actually talked about this a lot. When, after Luther died, the Book of Concord was written, and they were basically trying to establish some, some Lutheran theology. One of the things that they say is, and I'm very paraphrasing here, but uh, I actually read this quote last night. It's something to the effect of, it doesn't matter what you feel like. <laughs> like, it, feelings don't matter. You are under spiritual authority, and you should, like, shut up and like it kind of a, a statement. It's like, no, we have no room for this. Either you're Either you're with us or you're not. It's interesting because if if you view God, if you, or no, that's not the right way to put it. If there are mitzvot, if there's a mitzvah, a commandment, that means there's a mitzvah, mitzvah, someone who is a commander, do this. And just like we have that beautiful, I'm so grateful, not just for all the preservation of scriptures, of course, but for Matthew 8, where he talks about the centurion who obviously is a non-Israelite and he wants Yeshua to come and heal his servant, or I think it is. And he says, will you come? And he says, but he says, I'm not even worthy that you, you just say the word. I'm not even worthy that you come under my house. I mean, it's so awesome. And Yeshua uh, and his understanding of, of faith is that you just say the word. He says, I, I know what it means to be an authority. I say, go, and he says, go. I say to this one, come, and he comes. All you have to do is say the word, and it'll be done. That, and Yeshua says, I haven't seen this great of faith in Israel. And what is that? It's, it's not, it, it's authority and faith don't have to do with feelings. Right. It, it's, um, that doesn't mean, it doesn't, that- it doesn't mean that God, it, it, 
wait a minute. It means that feelings have are put in their proper place. Right. Exactly. That that's that's it. Yes. It doesn't mean that God is unfeeling. I, yeah. I didn't mean it to sound that way. Um, there's times where Yeshua it says, you know, his he had compassion on them, and it's the word is his gut, uh, his <laughs> his guts, right? He, his guts were stirred, right? And that's that's the literal Greek, you know, in a lot of these places. It's his guts. His bowels were were. Your, or, uh, you know, and it's, it's your, it's your visceral kind of, uh, terminology that's talking about this internal stirring and, and emotion. So it's not that we're, that God is without that or asking us to, to be, have this stoic hardened, uh, intellectual, uh, coldness. That's, that's not what it is, but are we clear on who we are in Messiah? Here, here's the thing. If I know that I hurt, let's say I, I say something dumb and I hurt my wife's feelings, right? It's my, and let's say, I, let's say I think, oh, but she said something first that hurt my feelings. So I'm going to like, well, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go say, I'm sorry. She owes me, you know, Da-da-da. okay. So if I go by feelings, if I went by feelings, I would just stay in this. Well, she owes me. If First, you, if right you by feelings, you wouldn't be married right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but because I'm in Messiah, because I belong to Yeshua, the Ruach HaKodesh is like, you go to your wife, right? You go to this other person and you, and, and it, it's against your feelings. Obedience to God often is against our, our feelings feelings, especially if we feel our feelings have been hurt and we feel justified in separating ourselves. We feel justified in, in, you know, saying, forget them, you know, and, and we got to watch that. We got to watch that. So Jessica says the way God describes his own self is with feeling words. Okay. I'm not saying that there's not, that, that there isn't a place for feelings, but the fact of the matter is, is that our feelings often will deceive us. We, the truth comes through through the word of God. We go to the word of God first. We go to counsel second. We go to, uh, you know, family structure probably second, then uh, other counsel third. And then, um, and then at some point, feelings do come in, into it. But here's the thing. You know, th- I've, seen, I've seen this happen uh, in communities a lot. You... What you do is you see people who say, oh, I don't like this community. You know, they've been with a community for 10 years. I don't like this community because, you know, ABC. And 99% of the time, maybe not in the Torah movement, but most of the time, it doesn't have to do with a foundational theological issue. Most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. A lot of the time it has to do with personal issues. And what do they do? They just up and leave. We're going to go to this church now. I don't think that that's what the scriptures teach us about leadership, about submission. If you have a problem or if, you know, there is a good way to leave a community. And the good way to leave a community is to go to the, to the elders and say, I feel like the Lord is leading me away. Maybe it's a theological issue. Maybe it's a personal issue. But let's talk about this and tell me what your thoughts are on this and how can we, A, either resolve it 
or how can we, you know, or do I, you know, are you, can you give me your, your blessing to move on to a place that's going to be more theological and theologically in line with what I'm, you know, what I believe those kind of things. We rarely see that. And one of the reasons why is because people don't put enough emphasis or enough uh, weight onto the idea of being in a biblical community. If that makes sense. Um, I suppose we could also discuss how, how to choose. Oh, what before that, okay, one yep. little point back to the idea of feelings and it's, we, we need to really be careful and this isn't being overly intellectual. It's just being accurate. I think we should see, since you said you wanted to clarify clarity is important. It's an important value. I think God, uh, is happy with clarity because he teaches the priests to say, you need to teach Israel the difference between what is holy and what is common between what is clean and what is unclean. What, right. That be between light and darkness. That's clear. That's clarification. That is uh, discernment. Right. And accuracy. And we need that. Okay. So if we're talking about God's feelings, it's easy to say, Oh, you know, he is full of love, loving kindness, loving kindness right? Chesed or Ahava, love. In English, at least in the English I grew up speaking, <laughs> love and kindness kind of have a feeling associated with them. Uh, kind is more of a verb, to be kind or to be loving. Um, but uh, we have to remember that, that these are covenantal terms, covenantal right. God is God swore by his own name. He couldn't swear by anyone greater. It says in Hebrew, so he swore by himself. So that's how sure he is of his covenant. That's how solid and sure his covenantal promises are. They're more, they're more solid than the heavens and the earth. I mean, Yeshua says heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That means Yeshua's word is more secure, more deeper more uh, ultimately real than what we think of in everyday life as being real, the heavens and the earth. So when we read Hesed or Ahava in the context of God's uh, unchanging uh, covenant loyalty, faithfulness, it's very different than me saying, I love pizza, meaning I prefer, you know, pizza over broccoli, or I, um, you know, have a feeling, I have kind feelings towards right. someone, you know, um, it's not that those things are bad. I don't, if someone says I love pizza or I love, you know, tacos or whatever, that's fine. Uh, I understand. And then they say, I love God. I understand they're using it differently. I'm not, it's not like you have to not use that word. It's just that when we're in our devotional time, in our worship and our understanding of, of biblical worldview, we have to anchor these terms within their covenant context, not our localized use of English. And I, I, it's interesting you bring this up because I just wrote a blog post. It was kind of under the radar, but I wrote a blog post that I knew was going to be highly controversial. It's on uh, growinginmessiah.com and it's called it's something to the effect of uh, love is love or, you know, it, it has the love is love is in the, t in the title. It's on the, I think it's on the homepage right now. Cool. And basically the idea is the, LGBTQ war cry of love is love. They're right. Love is love. 
but in the uh, in the uh, blog post, I try to make the case that love always pushes another person towards Christ. So whether a person is a homosexual and trying to quote unquote love uh, someone of the same sex, it's not going to work unless you are saying, "Don't do this." go towards Christ. And in the same way, a boyfriend and a girlfriend who are not in covenant relationship, but to have a sexual relationship is not love. Right. What is love is to push that person towards Christ. And so the obvious question that comes up, the obvious question that comes up is what about non-believers? Can a non-believing father love his child? And the answer is you can have emotions towards your child that we would describe as love. But ultimately, true love always pushes someone towards Christ. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. So we've talked a very little bit about how to leave a community. I suppose the last thing that we should do before we leave is talk about finding a good community. What should we look for in, in leaders? <clears throat> what should we look for in community? I think one of the things that um, the, you know, speaking to those who are in the Torah movement um, I think one of the things that the Torah movement has greatly lacked is education. I think leaders need some form of education to be, like we were talking earlier, to be able to, to stand theologically against attacks of theology. You know, we got people in our community, and I know that people from uh, the church that I, I help pastor listen to this podcast, so I'll be very careful, but we have people in our community who disagree on the fundamental issues of faith, deity of Christ, eternal punishment of the wicked. And so um, it's not that I'm going to just, you know, and even the, the people that we were talking about, the kind of, you know, the look, looky-loos or the people who kind of come and, and maybe they're part of three different congregations, they haven't actually settled in our congregation. It's not that a leader comes and says, you're out. But it's that what Rob was talking about. It's the separation of wheat and chaff. We understand that there is a core group, and then there are these people that we pray every day, we pray every week that the Almighty, through the preaching of the gospel, will soften their heart and that they will accept the truth of the word. And that through the means of the leadership and the community itself, that these people will come to an understanding of truth. I'm not one to... to you know, wait at the door, and when somebody new comes in, say, okay, do you believe in, you know, a 66-book canon? Check. Do you believe in the deity of Christ? Check. Okay, uh, you're allowed in. That's not how it works. We let the people come into the community. We preach the gospel as is commanded by the Messiah. And as we preach the gospel, we pray that the Holy Spirit will do the work. It's not us. It's not the preachers. It's not the elders who change the heart. It's God who changes the heart. And so when we look for a community, I think the thing that we need to look for is not size. It's not um, how big or small a community is. It's not where a community meets, you know, whether or not it's super close to us or not, although that's always a benefit. I think it's ultimately, does leadership uh, have a solid understanding of theology? Can they steer me theologically? Can they be accountable to other people within the community? Will they be accountable and will they hold me accountable? And will we be able to walk our faith out unto Christ the way that the scriptures tell us to? Those are the things that I would look for within a community. All right. That's it. I hope uh, I hope everybody's enjoyed it. It's kind of a kind of a thrown together 
<laughs> thrown together show. I don't know what we're going to do for our supporters. It's got to be something great, though, because we've missed probably a month. Um, so either today or next Tuesday, we'll try to do maybe we'll do an extra show and put it up on our supporters page. Um, that could be difficult, but I think that are you're definitely worth it. Our supporters are definitely worth it. If you want to support this show, you can do so for as little as $5 a month. Go to torresource.com and then hover over resources. Go down to Messiah Matters. Click on that, and then all the information is on that page on how to become a supporter, how to become an executive producer. Our new uh, fall executive producerships are up. You can uh, purchase them now and get your wonderful producer mug, which is behind my head. There we go. Oh. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we sure do appreciate all of our supporters and everyone who uh, helps put this show on. Uh, we couldn't do it without you. All right. I'm leaving tomorrow and I will be back on Tuesday. And so Rob and I will try to figure out something either today or on Tuesday for our, uh, our supporters page. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that the conversation that we've had today is a good one and one that needs to continue to happen. And I think the reason why, maybe this is like the final thought. I think the reason why is because I don't think that we talk about this enough in churches or in our communities. And one of the reasons why is because I think that God-fearing um, pastors don't want to seem like I'm in charge, you need to listen to me. Because that's not the role that we have. Uh, as as pastors and leaders, we have a uh, a role of defense. We have a role of education to those below us, uh, and we have a role of love. And um, it's very hard to try to tell people, look, you need to come into a community and be, you know, submit to biblical authority when we're the people in that biblical authority, <laughs> or at least one of the people in the, that that uh, structure. Um, so I hope that this, uh, you know, us talking about this more and more helps people understand the importance of, of community. You know, I'm grateful, very grateful every single, uh, week for the leadership in the church that I'm a part of and for the biblical authority that I'm under. I'm also thankful for the community of people that, uh, God has, has placed me in charge of that, uh, they, uh, res- respect the leadership and that they listen to the leadership, but also that they also help hold us accountable. And it's through this structure that we all walk under Christ and that we all try to walk out our faith. All right. Uh, well, I hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Why?